and welcome in to episode 120 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Savin, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Angela Lisa as we rewatch, relive, remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, well, like, so last week we had, what was it, it which which I already forget. It so, was SummerSlam 2019 because it was, for some I, reason, a SummerSlam that felt like every other pay-per-view that they had that year. Some absolute slog in 2019, and this week we could not escape one of the most annoying years for WWE that I can remember. We are back a few months earlier at Elimination Chamber 2019, the uh, the, the march to Kofi Mania, the rise of Kofi Mania. We got to see last time on the pod, like, the aftermath of Kofi mania. It's like we had this beautiful moment at WrestleMania with Kofi Kingston winning the WWE title, like just this wonderful heartwarming moment that nobody can say a bad thing about. And then we got to see like, Oh yeah. Like, like a a nice fresh reminder of how shitty the title reign was because of how bad the booking was. Um, and now we get to go back further in time and, and relive the, the, the moments that Kofi mania truly began. The uh, the moment that, you know, like had people fucking chomping at the bit for this guy who was a career mid Carter to win the title at WrestleMania and have this huge moment in this big title reign that they would probably just absolutely shit out their doo doo ass. Uh, But got a couple good chamber matches on here that were fun to watch and then a whole lot of absolute just fucking slop, just dog slop, folks. So really been looking forward to talking about this one. Uh, what's going on, Andrew? I watched this yesterday and completely forgot what the mid card was. I just remembered, oh, yeah, the Elimination Chamber matches were really good. I actually, I'd say that for the most part, the pay-per-view was fine. And then you go look at the mid card again and you're like, wait, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, you know. With you, I, I also watched this mostly yesterday and like, or like, like, yeah, like Friday night yesterday, too. And like. I also had to like check when we started record, like when we first got on the call to record and you were like, yeah, the mid card was bad. And I was like, I already forgot what was on the mid card. I had to check again. And I was like, yeah, no, all this sucked ass. Yeah. The only reason why I could, the only reason why I remembered it is because I have the Wikipedia pulled up. I'm like, wait, what happened again? Yeah. I do not have anything pulled up except my notes. And I totally had already forgotten what the fuck was on the show that I just watched. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the- especially especially this uh this no holds barred match that we've got this no DQ match, which is like <laughs> one of the worst fucking things that you will ever see on a WWE pay per view. It's just absolute shit. It just sucks the vac the vacuum of the air just went out the building entirely during that match. I didn't think yeah. it was awful, but like the uh, like it's again it had been that consistent booking for like three months with the guys involved, and it was just uninspiring because they never really committed to anything. It was just like, we're just going to kind of do this because we don't know what else to do. Yeah, it's uh, kind of the story of Braun Strowman's WWE career, folks. Uh, but wah, yeah, wah, wah. we'll get much more into that later. But, you know, it, it, it reminds me a lot of like, I think we can say right now is honestly like the best time for WWE programming in a long time. Oh, yeah. And like, I mean, like some of the old bugaboos are still there from time to time. But I think overall, like the storytelling, the match quality, just kind of the overall vibes are much better. You know what I mean? Um, and it, it it just, uh, you know, and, and that obviously really coincided with uh, Vince McMahon having to take a real 
back. I mean, like he's obviously not out of the company still. He's still nominally in charge, but has like taken at least some sort of step back in terms of like uh, being in the weeds every week, you know, like completely going insane, like rewriting every show and just like making it his own thing every week. Um, so you can say that, right? Yeah, I think and like to that point, I think you see it. One, what has been the biggest issue with WWE that we've been saying for like years at this point? It was the fact they couldn't ever make new stars. And it was just always felt like it was the same guys being recycled over and over and over again. And while there's a lot of those guys that we still like and there's still a lot of those guys that exist, you know, they really have a a lot more of a bigger pool to pull from. Like I say, Chad Gable's probably the like a t- great test point of this. Like Gable, even three years ago, because I think he's been out doing Alpha Academy for roughly that long. Who who cared? We no one cared about Chad Gable. He was just this annoying nerd that showed up and would say stupid things and lose all the time. And here we are, three years into Alpha Academy, him and Otis, and he is like one of the best baby faces on Raw. Uh, 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 no way it's been three years, by the way. I have to check. It's, like, it's two or three years. He's been doing it for a minute. Not a chance. Oh, it's been almost three years. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 I, dude, I this entire t- COVID screws up our frame of reference for time. It's just you can't do it. But yeah, Gable started off as like a boring heel who would just go out there and lose. Now here he is going against Gunther, who has been the god of professional wrestling now for like about a year outside of Roman Reigns. And, you know, there's actually like clamoring for him to win the IC title over Gunther. I mean, that would never have happened under Vince. But it it it, it kind of like puts it in perspective that uh, like this has been a much better time for WWE and like kind of reminds you of like. This was sort of what you would get with pay-per-views around this time a lot of times it would deliver on the big matches right like both of the elimination chamber matches here are good they're good matches the the women's tag one is pretty good the men's one is my opinion one of the best and most memorable chamber matches of all time uh but the whole rest of it especially anything that like specifically has to do with advancing any storylines is just like either kills the crowd is really boring makes no sense or is like actively insulting to everyone involved and the best moment involved the best moment of the mid card is not even a match it's a post match beatdown yes in the form of Becky Lynch yes and that storyline was absolutely completely fucked to hell and like i i don't like like she's over here and it's fun to see her being over but like we'll talk about it more like like also a symptom of them having no idea what to fucking do booking wise. It was just like really, really like honestly, like really annoyed the shit out of me at the time. And that's a, I mean, that was the whole thing about triple H's booking style now, right? It's the fact that, Hey, if the fans sound like they want it, they're going to see how long it lasts. And if it's got staying power, they'll do something about it. Yeah. I don't know. It's this, this kind of shit. Like this, I, I hated watching WWE. This was, right? not, this was awful. I, this was, this was a period where I was like really struggling to give a shit at all. And like, I'm, I don't know. I was like, I don't know why I'm torturing myself watching this thing that I don't like. You know what I mean? During during COVID, I would instead of like watching the reruns of Raw or SmackDown, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna watch follow the New Japan uh, scene and see what's going on there. Yes, and and even now, you would still be much better served doing that. But still, like, 
I don't know, man. Some of some of this was kind of a fucking kind of a slog, honestly. Like they, we, uh, like you said, the two chamber matches, very good, very fun, and the rest of this shit kind of sucks. Literally forgettable. Yeah, like like literally as literally forgettable as in like I forgot it uh, like eight hours after watching it. I forgot anything that fucking happened. But sounds like ready to remember some guys, and let's remember some guys, David remember some guys it's not as fun to remember guys when it's like literally like oh this is three years ago all the same guys are here we're not remembering guys it's Actually, like remember all the same guys you're watching every week on tv they're all still here they're just doing different stuff that probably like sucked well let's no. see um let's um, let me count the name i'm gonna do some counting real quick for the next match uh as you go into the thing because not all these guys are still in wwe well, like the majority <laughs> of these women are out of wwe just for very or like what like probably like half ish see sasha <laughs> naomi well no now that sarah logan's back it's like yeah like not 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 quite half but like almost almost half Especially now that like Sarah Logan well, fucking five fucking of 12 has been employed by WWE this whole time, you know, like, which is crazy. The fact that she's like, like she never wrestles like her, like her whole. Oh, well, OK, I, I need to get to the fucking match. before. I fucking <laughs> so, OK, it is February 17th, 2019. We are at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, home of the Houston Rockets, who I think were still good at this time. They still had James Harden. Um, but yeah, we are in Houston. We don't have like a, we don't have like a, like an a, a attendance listed, but uh, Dave Meltzer in the uh, wrestling observer says that it was like a pretty good crowd, but not quite a sellout. Um, and it does seem like a pretty good crowd, but like no actual, like uh attendance figures here um so we are uh here for elimination chamber which of course should be noted uh is in named elimination chamber in every country in the world except for germany where it is named no escape and uh we are here on the march to kofi mania two chamber matches including the quote-unquote inaugural women's tag titles not actually the first women's tag team titles in wwe history but the first in about 30 years or so um and a wwe championship match in the main events uh we have on commentary Cole, michael cole Corey graves renee young for the raw matches uh byron saxton and tom phillips and Corey graves on the call for the smackdown matches um, we also have, uh, some special guests on commentary as well and, uh, missing out on this one on the pre-show, uh, apparently a match between Buddy Murphy and Akira Tozawa that by all accounts, absolutely fucking ripped it up. Like just absolutely tore the house down with this match that we don't get to see because it was on the pre-show. And I honestly, like, can you find the pre-shows on the network? Like you should be right. I don't really look for them, but they don't really pop up. You know what I mean? You could probably search Buddy Murphy and there'll probably be a list no, of matches. They don't, they no, they don't have functionality anymore. You used to have that on the old WWE Network, but on Peacock, the search function sucks balls. So all you can do is like search for the name of the show. Like if I search, if I type in just Elimination Chamber, I'll be able to get it. But like back in fucking the old WWE network I'm going to fucking be mad about this the old WWE network when it was just a dedicated wrestling uh streaming service 
you could type in whatever guy's name and you would get whatever fucking matches the guy was in. I could type in fucking S.A. Rios 2000 and I would get every match that S.A. Rios was in in 2000 that they have on the network. And I can't do that anymore on Peacock because they got too much other bullshit on there. I type in fucking, you know, whatever, and I get, you know, a thousand stupid NBC shows that no one has ever watched and no one ever will watch. It's fucked up. It sucks. I'd assume that they have them on flipping YouTube, but they don't. I, I, yeah. I, I'll, I'm going to get research on this. Yeah, I, I guess maybe some could be on YouTube, but I don't remember how they were handling this back at the time. So, yeah, but apparently this match between Tozawa and Buddy ruled, and uh, we don't get to see it, which sucks. Uh, but... Remember when uh, Buddy was his nickname was the best kept secret? Well, he was honestly like <laughs> Buddy is a guy that I've I've long felt is uh, a tremendous fucking worker. Like there was there was a time around this time where I thought he was the best worker in WWE. Uh, if you watch, if I like, if I, I was like one of the seven people that would watch his cruiserweight shit, and I would just fucking love watching Buddy. And now he's like getting to do more stuff, which is great, but. Uh, yeah, he was he, he he was the best kept secret because no one was watching the fucking cruiserweights. But yeah, we start off with the women's tag elimination chamber first. As Michael Cole notes, just the second ever tag team elimination chamber match. The first one was for the uh, the men's tag team titles in 2015, a uh, match won by the New Day. Uh Listen to these teams that were in the, the men's tag elimination chamber. You had the New Day. You had the primetime players, Darren Young, Titus O'Neil, Tyson Kidd, and Cesaro. That was a fucking great team. Um, the Ascension. You had the Lucha Dragons. And then you had uh, Los Matadores, uh, fucking uh, Primo and Epico in the, in the Matador gimmick. So that's nine of them that are no longer with WWE? Yeah, what? I mean, just like... Just I mean, a New Day, and then I think Titus O'Neil. Titus works for the company, and I believe Tyson Kidd also works for WWE as like an agent or like a producer or something. But like, yeah, everyone else gone. But like 2015, that is that is further back. First WWE, they're, they're, they're calling it the inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Titles. Um, and, you know... They had had women's tag belts throughout a lot of the 80s. They're just kind of ignoring that and saying that this is the first ever women's tag title. But, like, that's not a piece of history that most people would know that they actually had women's tag belts in the 80s. So for most people, like, you know, if you're not a freak who actually, like, you know, knows all this minutia about the history of WWE, like, yeah, this this is, you know, a completely new thing, right? Um, so we've got... Beth Phoenix on commentary, which is nice. Um, I did like the fact that Beth actually mentions Beth actually. I, I don't think that they like they. They're probably not allowed to say like, "Hey, this is." Not, they're, they're trying to push like that. This is the inaugural women's tag belts, so they're not really allowed to mention that like there were previous women's tag belts. But Beth does go out of her way to mention the Jumping Bomb Angels and the glamour girls who were two of the big women's tag teams of the time that held that belt, which I thought was a nice little nod to history from her, from her part, which I really, yeah, I was a big fan of that. I have that right now too. Cause it's just like, Hey, cool. Acknowledging that, you know, there is a history of women's tag team wrestling. Um, this isn't like revolutionary in any way. It's just, you know, WWE hadn't done a great job of, uh, maintaining a division. They still really haven't, whether that's cursed or not. Thank, uh, thank you. Uh, 
was it Alba Fire and Isla Dawn who have taken now credit for the women's tag team curse. Yeah, 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 which was cool. Um, but yeah, like I thought that was a, a, a nice, nice, nice little piece of commentary there by Beth that I that I appreciated. So the teams uh, in order um, in order of entrance first going into the pods, we have the team of uh, Carmella and Naomi. We have the riot squad. Remember the riot squad, the riot squad team of uh, Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan. Uh, we have the Iconics, rest in peace. They're not uh, dead, they're just not with WWE. They were fucking funny as hell. We've got a truly cursed tag team here, Nia Jax and Tamina. Um, and then starting out the match in the ring, Mandy Rose and Sony Deville, and then the Boss and Hug Connection, the team of Bailey and Sasha Banks. Um, so... We have uh, if there's if there is going to be any like work rate team in this match, it's going to be Bailey and Sasha um, and they put on a really good performance here. So, you know, Bailey and Sasha start off doing a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, you know, they hit like double running knees, like a kind of double like stunner through the ropes. Sasha hits an Escalera into a crossbody on both women on the outside. Um, and then they get some heat for a while. So- Sonia fucking kills Sasha with this really nasty ass power bomb out of the corner. Honestly, like a few years at like since I had seen them, Sonia and Mandy were better in the ring than I remember. Yes, I, like I thought they put in a really good performance here. I actually thought Mandy, like Mandy and Sonia, during this era of like 2019, were like two of the like newer faces that were actually pretty good, and I always enjoyed seeing on TV. Uh, their feud that happened between them didn't really kind of felt weird also you had the weird mandy rose naomi jimmy uso storyline on commentary and i had like blocked that in my mind it's like like naomi comes out to kick her ass and it was like yeah it was like the fucking weird ass like hotel room video thing yep that where it's like oh yeah mandy's trying to fuck jimmy uso it's like why am i watching (laughs) wrestling tv right now what is going on here like straight out like the mid 2000s storyline yeah that is like really like a stupid ass like 1998 like like fucking storyline but like because it's pg they can't like 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 in 1998 they would like there's a good chance you would actually see someone's dick but like like, (laughs) jimmy uso's dick in 2019 like you're just getting like it's like a fucking PG show. So it's like, how do you do a storyline where it's like, oh, yeah, Mandy Rose is trying to fuck Naomi's husband. But like, you're not allowed to like mention sex, you know, like it's so fucking stupid. Um, Fever but yeah. dream. But yeah, like Mandy, especially as someone who like her whole thing was like, she's the hot girl. Actually was better than I really remembered, remembered her being like, I thought she put in a really solid performance in this match. Um but yeah, Sonya fucking destroyed Sasha with this power bo- power slam out of the corner where it's like the one where like Sasha's trying to do the up and over into the Rana and like Sonya catches her and just fucking kills her. Um, and it was awesome. They also did this really dumb spot at this part where the one where like Mandy gets her like tries to hit the boot and like on the outside and gets her foot stuck in the cage, quote unquote. And it's like. Like you look at it, like the fucking gaps are like enormous. Like yeah, you can't get your foot out of this cage. But she's like, "Oh no, I'm stuck. I'm fucking stuck." That hanging neckbreaker Bailey hits after that is yeah. very good. Bailey hits her with a neckbreaker afterwards, which was which was good. Um, so now we start doing the entrances. Of course, 
One of the reasons why I love Dave Meltzer, he is the only motherfucker who would actually like probably have like a stopwatch and be like timing the entrances. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, yeah, they're just kind of coming in whenever they want. You know, um, <laughs> Riot Squad enters first. There is a world where the Riot Squad comes out of uh, Elimination Chamber 2019 with all the belts because you got Liv and Sarah Logan in this match. And then you also have Ruby Riot challenging for the uh the raw women's title later tonight against Ronda Rousey that you could have a totally fucking strapped up riot squad and a, honestly a, I would love to live in that fucking timeline a faction where they have all the belts David that will never work it it's not believable it it's not, it won't get over horrible idea I can't believe you'd even suggest it I know the the the, the bullet club really was not fucking over in 2015 dude um so yeah uh, you know, they all, they come in and they all beat the shit out of each other. Um, like there's this great spot where like, like Sonya and Liv Morgan just absolutely fuck each other up in this part. <laughs> like it's, it's actually fucking badass. Um, then Bailey comes in, she, Bailey gets this big comeback on everyone. We get obviously in a match like this, you gotta have a huge fucking tower of doom spot. We get that. Um, and then obviously now everyone's down. That means the next team has to come in. It's the Iconics who are doing the kind of the chicken shit heel thing. They there's like a funny spot. The Iconics run in and tr- like frantically try and fail to pin every single other person in the match in a row, and they all kick out one after the other. Um, and they're all screeching. Billy Kay, one of the funniest fucking people in the history of WWE, <laughs> in my opinion. She like always made me fucking laugh. Just a person who really understood how to get the most out of having like the screechiest Aussie accent in history. <laughs> she would turn that shit up as high as possible. They were both so grating in the best ways. So fucking funny. I miss them so much. Um, they were great. Um, so they like frantically sprint around the ring trying to pin everyone. They can't. Then they uh, run heat on everybody for a little while. Um, there's this one spot where like, Peyton does this, uh, Peyton Royce does this, like, like the kind of like rolling somersault senton out of the ring onto the floor, um, to both Bailey and Sasha. But for some reason she sets up Bailey and Sasha like vertically away from her instead of horizontally. So she flips over and then just fucking kicks Bailey in the face, like (laughs) really hard. I was like, that is why you set them up the other way. So you land across they're fucking like midsection and you don't kick them in the face. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Um, yeah, so that was really funny. Uh, cause, cause thankfully Bailey was fine. Uh, Naomi and Carmella, which was a tag team that I forgot ever existed, comes in next. They do like a bunch of like, uh, they do a bunch of, bunch of shit. Uh, Naomi cool at like great athlete, you know, hits her cool split leg and moonsault. Um, on to Sarah Logan. We get this huge waterfall spot where everyone hits big moves on everybody all in a row, um, including which a uh, big shout out to uh, Victoria, uh, Liv Morgan hitting the widow's peak during this uh, during this spot. I noticed that. I thought that was cool. Didn't uh, Payne Royce hit the gory special too, right at the start of it? Yes. Uh, so really nice, really nice. Uh, Carmella gets the, the code of silence, her uh, submission finisher on Sonya, but Mandy breaks it up. Um, Naomi gets in, beats up Mandy, hits her with her finisher, the rear view, 
but then the Iconics catch Naomi with a sunset flip jackknife pin combo. And Naomi and Carmella, the first team eliminated from the match. Uh, and then after this, we get Nia Jax and Tamina, the two, the two like big powerful like heels getting in. They just lay waste to fucking everybody, beat everyone up. Um, there's this one spot where um, like the Iconics like try to hide in the pod. Like, this is funny. Pod and close the pod so they can't get in. And then like Nia and Tamina like rip the pod open, like pry it open. It's like a monster movie. Yeah, seriously. And then like throw like they they grab them. They throw them around. They hit double Samoan drop and they get the pin. So the Iconics are the next team out. Um, eventually, the all the other teams run in and they do like their individual shines and beat up on N- Nia and Tamina. Um, Riot Squad do big double dives off of uh, a pod at the same time, which was cool. Um, but then uh, Nia and Tamina get back up on the Riot Squad. Naya hits a middle rope Samoan drop on Liv Morgan. And then Tamina hits the Superfly splash on both women. And uh, the Riot Squad get pinned. Now we have uh, Nia Jax. And, so we have Nia Jax and Tamina left. We have Bailey and Sasha left. We have uh, Mandy and Sonya left. Um, Naya and Tamina are actually the, the next ones out. There's a spot where Nia tries to charge Bailey on the outside and misses and just explodes through the side of a pod, which is a cool spot. Like, because she just blasts through this fucking thing and it fucking shatters. So good. But the replay looks really bad because the idea is, um, the idea is like, I guess, like, she's trying to charge her and hit the fucking avalanche on the outside and like Bailey moves out of the way. But like, Bailey's like already kind of hanging onto the ropes. Like, she's already off to the side. And, like, there's no, like, dodge. Like, Nia just runs past her. <laughs> Bailey doesn't move. So, like, I don't know if they just mistimed it or something. Or, like, Nia just, like, went too early or what. Something, like, there was a miscommunication. But, like, Nia just runs right past her and then runs through the thing on her own. So, it looks, like, on the replay, like, the spot gets a good reaction. And it's, like, you know, it's a, it's a cool thing and everything. So, like, obviously the fans reacted to it. So, that's, go- that's good. But, like, it's just... Like the replay, you're like, what the fuck happened here a little bit? You know what I mean? So Nia explodes through the side of this fucking pod. And then every – so now it's everyone against Tamina. Everyone hits their moves on Tamina. Sasha hits the meteor off the top rope. Bailey hits her fantastic diving elbow. And everyone stack pins on Tamina. So Nia and Tamina are out. And we're down to the same two teams that started the match. Sasha and Bailey, Sonya and uh, Mandy Rose – um, we get, you know, action here is really good down the stretch of this match. Um, they get the big Bailey and Sasha get the big, like bank statement, Bailey to belly suplex combo on Sonya, but Mandy breaks it up. Um, crowd chanting. This is awesome. Uh, Mandy ends up climbing up to the top of the pod for no reason. There's a lot of this in both matches, <laughs> both the women's match and the men's match are people climbing up to the top of the pod for like seemingly no reason. And then like everyone has to follow them up there for some reason. And like, cause there's like no actual like real advantage to be gained from going up top. Like it's not like a cage match where you can climb out and win. You're just kind of, climbing up really high for some reason, you know? 
Um, also, less like, so when it's like one team versus one team. Like, there's an argument that hey, you're going up there to try and get a rest, but when it's one on one, now you're kind of subjecting your your teammate to a two on one disadvantage. Yeah, but there's like a lot of this in in both matches where I'm just kind of like, why are you doing that? I don't really understand the advantage to be gained by just going up there because all that's going to happen is if you've ever watched wrestling is you're going to get thrown off of the pod and it's going to hurt really bad. Um, But like, so they all follow each other up um, and then they all climb down. Sonya ends up spearing Bailey into the corner of one of the pods that takes Bailey out looked really gnarly. Uh and then Mandy Rose hits Christopher Daniels' finisher, the Angels' wings, on Sasha Banks. It's not like Sasha two-on-one against Mandy and Sonya. Mandy hits the Angels' wings, gets her all the way fucking up there, and nails it. But she kicks out. Then they do a spot where Sonya accidentally spears Mandy. Uh, Sasha gets the bank statement in on uh, Sonya. She's been selling her shoulder this whole time, so she can't really lock it in. So she ends up kind of twisting around and grabbing onto her foot instead to lock in the submission, which I thought looked really cool. And Sonya ends up tapping out. Sasha and Bailey win the women's tag titles, the quote-unquote inaugural women's tag titles in about 33 minutes. They're hugging and crying in the ring. You know, it's a very emotional moment. The crowd is chanting, you deserve it. Uh, and then we get this promo from Sasha. She says, nobody knows how hard we fought to get these. Uh, we do this for everyone in the women's division, and this is just the beginning of more change to come. And, you know, it's a nice heartwarming moment. The match was really good, and I also want to address a point, you know? Uh, this, again, I actually, like, so everything about this match, like, this match was booked very well with who starts the match, what spots they're hitting. They, nothing felt repetitive either. I mean, there's a lot of good moments throughout this entire match. You know, the Iconics always steal the show with being chicken shit heels. I really do did love them hiding out in the pod. And there's that little moment when they get grabbed like, I'm sorry, Billy. I love you, Billy. I love you, Peyton. And then they get pulled apart and get beat to shit by Tamina and Nia. Um, super funny. I thought the sequence to eliminate like Tamina and Nia too, because they're like the bigger powerhouses that, you know, it's always a, a book around kind of situation. Nia Jax, especially. She's always built for moments like this as the person that gets waterfalled because she's just so big. Um, I, and it's, it's believable that, like, you would have to, like, kick her in the face 38 times to, like, actually knock her Yes. Out. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's so good. Um, and her running through the pot, even if it's the timing was a little bit off, you know, it looked very impressive. It and it spot like it looked it looked cool, like and obviously I got a big reaction from the crowd and it's like a good way to, like, take her out. But it's just like when you watch that when you watch it back, it's just like it's so funny to look at because it's just like her, her running past Bailey. Bailey doesn't even move, and Nia's just like fucking let's go, motherfucker. She just the near explodes oh, through the side of the. It was so funny. And then the end too. The near falls that they were able to get at the end. The backstabber to the Bailey to belly at, with uh, Sonya saving the day. Very good near fall. Um, Sasha kicking out of the Angels' wings. Very good near fall. Um, and then, obviously, Banks using her leg to put in the bank statement. Just very good finish to this match. Super entertaining. And, you know, a lot of times when you have a match that is going to go 30 minutes and you don't have an elimination until 17 minutes in like this one, I would say it's, they generally kind of are plotting, but this one really did move. This one was a very good, like, a very good watch and would recommend to go back and watch. Yeah, no, it was a very fun match. I thought pretty much everybody uh, did a good job in it. 
yeah, like, you know, y- y- like you said, there's nothing, no, you know, no eliminations for the next first whatever, like almost 20 minutes of the match. But I felt like every team kind of like got their shine in like a way that made sense for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like, you know, Nia and Tamina fucking, you know, killing everybody all at once or like the Iconics like doing like kind of funny chicken shit stuff or like, you know, Sasha and Bailey hitting all their cool moves and all that stuff. Like I thought like everybody kind of like Naomi and Carmella kind of getting their their gimmicks over in like a very like the kind of short amount of time that they had in the ring. Um, Like I thought it was booked well. You know, I thought this was a match that was booked well, like the structure was good and it was executed well. Like, honestly, like there's really nothing to really like. Like, the only thing to kind of, like, pick at here is, like, yeah, the Nia spot. Like, Nia just Leroy Jenkinsinger ass way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. It was really funny. And then, like, yeah, I, I didn't like being reminded that, like, oh, yeah, Mandy Rose tried to fuck Jimmy Uso. <laughs> like, that was fucking so stupid. I don't know. That's pretty funny. Uh, I was like, why did you have to remind me that this happened? This was so bad. Uh but like it was a, I thought a well put together match, and like the crowd was into it. Crowd was really into it. They were really into Sasha and Bailey winning. I thought it kind of just like it, it hit everything it needed to hit. Um, and I, I, I recommend watching it. It was a fun time, especially for a lot of these teams that like either like weren't super established or like probably didn't like team all that much or were only around for kind of a shorter time. Uh, this was a this was a good match. By the way, I have gone on WWEshop.com, and there are a total of two Tamina items available for purchase. Is, is one of them that says, ain't no, ain't no one Mina than Tamina? No, but there should be. <laughs> uh, that would be fucking badass, actually. No, so you can buy a Tamina 10.5-inch by 13-inch plaque that is just like of like a Tamina, like kind of like a promo pick. That's in like a plaque um, for twenty two dollars and forty nine cents with with uh, your like superstar code, because I guess they've got a a deal going on right now. Or you can buy Tamina Women's Championship replica side plates box set for seventy dollars, which I don't know. Again, I don't know who's buying that. And it says almost gone. So I don't know if that means they're going to take them off the market. Or if enough people have purchased them that they're almost out, which I mean, again, I don't I, I can't really imagine. Someone what if they only made them out? What if they only made an amount that would always say almost gone because it's below that criteria? Because it is like it says it's a women's championship box set and she's never been a women's champion. She's been a tag team champion Tag champion, but it's not she hasn't been the women's champion. So I don't really know. I don't know. Like. I don't know if this is like for for a Tamina title run that never happened, but uh, yeah, you're running out of time perhaps to buy your uh, special women's championship replica side plates in what appears to be a nice little uh, nice little kind of a briefcase type little box. You know, it's got that kind of little latch on it. So Tamina fans everywhere, uh, jump on this shit ASAP. So next up. We have men's tag titles on the line. The SmackDown tag titles specifically. The unbelievably cursed tag team 
of The Miz and the fucking the sweatiest man in the business, Shane McMahon. The Nepo baby himself. The, the Nepo baby of all Nepo babies, Shane McMahon, defending against an actual tag team who are good at tag team wrestling, the Usos. Um, Miz comes out first, and this is actually one of the moments that I really remember specifically from Elimination Chamber because I can just, for whatever reason, like just like purpose, like perfectly remember the inflection in Maurice's voice when she made this announcement. Um, Miz comes out first, dedicates the match to his family. That de- mentions, of course, his wife Maurice, and Maurice makes her entrance, and they announce together that they're having another baby. Uh, and he dedicates the match to his now un- his 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 new unborn child, which is a nice moment, and it gets a nice reaction from the crowd and everything. So congratulations, uh, retroactive congratulations to uh, the Mizanin family uh, four years ago. Um, so the match starts. Um, the the fucking thing that I I could not stand the most about, especially the Shane run, like the later Shane run, like the the SmackDown Shane run. That we all hated. And listen, there was a lot of it that fucking sucked. But the worst part of it was him being treated as an actual wrestler. Who, <laughs> like, like, wrestle, like, get in the ring with Jey Uso and, like, just wrestle him and, like, do well. You know what I mean? Like, get up on him and hit a bunch of moves. He actually, like, in the first part of this match, I thought looked pretty solid. Um, especially for a guy who's a non-wrestler. Like, did some stuff. Like, hits a really nice, like, jumping back elbow that looked really good. But, like... It's like totally missing the point of what Shane McMahon was like. Yes. Like that, we've talked about this a lot. But like the thing about Vince that made him such a great heel was the fact that he never actually if he was in a one on one situation with a wrestler, he got his ass kicked and was always willing to get his fucking ass kicked in that situation. And sometimes get completely fucking humiliated and just, you know, like look like the biggest fucking idiot in the world. Right. Um, whereas, you know, Shane here, like Shane had some great moments as a wrestler when he was young, but it didn't come from him being a good wrestler. It came from him being this Nepo baby who was a psycho and was willing to like go to any fucking lengths and do all the stunts that no one else was willing to do to get the respect of the boys. Shane wanted to be cool. Yes. Desperately wanting the respect of the boys and being willing to kill himself to do so. And in doing so, gaining the respect of the boys. But like he was never actually a serious wrestler, nor was he ever treated as one, nor was he ever treated as a guy that like, you know, would like could go one on one with a real wrestler and win. He was a guy who maybe could pose a threat because he was kind of crazy and was willing to jump off like a 40 foot fucking ledge to like hurt somebody if he had to you know what i mean um but yeah like shane is like wrestling straight up here like doing regular normal tag wrestling and like actually like succeeding against the usos which again is just really stupid um they end up getting some heat on jay early and then the moves the usos cut off the miz they work over the miz for a while which is like the usos are really like the babyface team here and they're getting heat which means you know what that means Shane McMahon hot tag incoming. Oh, yeah. Boy, do we get a Shane McMahon hot tag. And it's really funny. Like uh, Shane Shane runs in. He like sprints in as fast as he can and just like, you know, starts hitting everybody and he's everywhere. He's like just moving 100 miles an hour. Like I (laughs) it's like kind of sloppy. And it's in my mind. I had like. Chris Berman in like the Chris Berman voice going, he's rumbling. He's 
That's good. Doing this. Um, he hits like float over DDTs on both Usos. He goes for, he hits the coast to coast on Jimmy. Goes, he has Jay set up in the other corner, then goes for a coast to coast on Jay. But then Jay blasts him out of midair with the super kick. Um, Jay hits the Uso splash on Shane, but Miz breaks up the pin. Um, Miz, I, I liked this moment. Miz hits like a big springboard. Like he hits a springboard and it's kind of like a springboard, like axe handle. But it's like it's so rare to see Miz do a springboard, at least it, like now. Like I think he does it a little more now, but like hits this big springboard and like he has this look on his face after like, holy shit, look at that. I just hit a springboard, folks. <laughs> As someone who's not hitting a springboard, I would have the same reaction. And then he runs straight into a Samoan drop uh, from Jay. Um, and then he comes back with his basement DDT. Um, we have a spot where Jimmy accidentally takes out Jay with a dive. Uh, Miz puts Jay on the announce table. Shane hits the big diving elbow off the top turnbuckle through the announce table, which it's always gets a big reaction. But uh, we saw Shane do this way too much during this era. And it was like diminishing returns. It's like it gets a reaction, but it's not as big a reaction as you necessarily want for that spot. Seeing it once a year is special. Seeing it once every month is routine. Yeah. And it was like. There's only so many things Shane can do because he's not a wrestler. Uh, and this is one of them, right? Um, so he does that. Boom. Great. Awesome. Cool. And then, uh, you know, we get Jimmy and Miz in the ring. So Jay and uh, Shane are taken out by this diving elbow. We get Jimmy and Miz when I one in the ring. Jimmy hits a super kick, goes for the Uso splash, but Miz gets the knees up. Miz hits his finisher, the skull crushing finale. Uh, but then as he goes for the pin, Jimmy quickly snatches on a crucifix and Jimmy gets the pin and wins the title in 13 minutes and 54 seconds. Um, afterwards, like teasing maybe a little bit of uh, a little bit of tension between Miz and Shane, but they end up walking to the back together. Um, match is OK, but, you know, I, like my two things here, honestly, number one, we've talked about it already. Don't like Shane having to like being treated as a real wrestler who can like wrestle straight up and have success against one of the best tag teams in the company. And at the same time, and um, I also know I've also kind of never really liked this finish. You know what I mean? Like you see people do it, but I've never been a big fan of it. Like where it's like someone hits their finish and they go for the pin and the other guy immediately fucking gets on like a crucifix. Like you have to be like aware enough to like really snatch that on and get it on. Yeah. I feel like it kind of no sells the person's finish. You know what I mean? Like you hit that you're finished. The guy should be out or like certainly not like aware enough to be able to be like, oh, I'm going to snatch this wrestling move right here and fucking pin him real tight. Like, fuck you. Like, yeah. I feel like the skull crushing finale, especially now, is like one of the least protected finishes in WWE. Like people kick out of that all the time. But like still, I was just kind of like, man, like it kind of just kills that finish, you know? Yeah, it's tough to kind of really. Miz has always been someone that is a, a yes man's kind of in that Dolph Ziggler role where wherever he's get whatever he's given, he's going to make it work regardless. And he doesn't really care about how he's booked. Like the guy has a t-shirt that talks about his massive balls. You, as someone that's 40 years old, <laughs> honestly, 
I think in the future, the uh, Hello, My Balls Are Massive t-shirt, we're going to look at it the same way we, we look at the APA Always Pounding Ass t-shirt. <laughs> I think in so. In years, those, those shirts are going to sell for a lot of money. I'm going to have to see if like, they're available on the WWE shop. My birthday's coming up. Whatever the, whatever the fucking, uh, like, the successor to Twitter is going to end up being, right? Like, we're in the end game now with that, probably. Like Almost certainly. You know, Blue Sky or Threads or whatever the fuck it is. Crap, I'm going to have to get Blue Sky account for the freaking Twitter account. Whatever shit that I don't want to use. Um, it's like we're going to have people in like 20 years on whatever the successor to that is being like, yo, what's with this merch? Like we're going to have like a we're going to have like a account that's like weird ass WWE merch. And people are going to be like, yo, what's with this? My balls are massive T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be the same thing but but miss has never been one that needs like a all-powerful finishing move or anything so like of all the people for it to happen to sure miz makes sense like if it's like oh. if it's like a Shawn michaels super kick get the hell out of here oh, um i completely agree with you but it's just like it's like i i, I it's just to think it's an interesting note that it is like literally the like least protected finish ever and like especially now but like even here it's like He's hitting it, and then he's immediately getting fucking pinned right after hitting his own finish so by the, the guy who he hit his finish on. <laughs> so the, like, sca- the scale is skull-crushing finale to end of days. I know. Like, come on, brother. Uh, like, something like that is just, again, like, on a very instinctive level, I'm just like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, you're hitting your finish on a guy, and then immediately afterwards, that guy's pinning you? Yeah. Huh? I mean, doggy what now? Doggy doggy what now? Good good callback. Uh, this was a you know it's a Shane match, right? Like this was all this had all the trappings of a normal Shane match, and Shane was a star. You don't really think much about the Usos or even the Miz for the most of this match. It's all about what Shane is doing. It's Shane, Shane, Shane. Um, which again is great when he wrestles like once or twice a year. It's not great when he's a you know active participant in storylines on a week to week basis. Very dull, very boring. I mean, I do love Miz's DDT. He hits it every time. The little like kickback uh, spike, and yes. now he's start. He's now he started doing like a suplex into the DDT, which is just a really nice evolution of that. The old, uh, the old. Uh, I think the Yujiro Takahashi. I think he calls it the Pimp Juice, which is one of the greatest uh, finisher names of all time. That works for Miz. Uh, yeah, it was just all about Shane. It, although at the very end, when the finish happens, and you get the little post match reaction from Miz. It, I'm again so so impressed that a man who has been playing heel his entire career was able to generate that much babyface energy just by looking over a chain and saying I'm sorry I can't believe that I'm sorry um, truly looking like he was bro- a broken man after uh, losing the titles yeah uh, you know Miz Miz has had a couple of moments where he like has gotten actual babyface energy you know what I mean like I think especially like you know, after like, it was like, what was it? was like 2017, 2018 when he had that big baby face run. And he was, ice, uh, was he intercontinental champion, I believe, or was a U.S. champion? Was it the one following his, this is my show, my show? Yes. Which is when he, when he cut that promo and then everyone realized, oh shit. The He's Miz- not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone, like, I don't think any one, I can't think of any one promo ever, except like maybe like Austin 316 that has like, so completely changed the way that everyone saw one particular guy 
the way that promo did for the Miz. And it's hysterical, too, because he got that. He was able to do that on Talking Smack, a show that literally no one watched. But that promo was so crazy that everyone was like, yo, you guys need to watch this fucking promo. I love the Miz. I have loved the Miz for so long. He, I, whatever flowers he gets ends up not being enough because that that man has done it all through this business and you know he he did not have a good start to his career by people who probably should have been, uh, you know, not giving him as much shit as he got. Yeah, no, I mean, like again, this this match is a match is like okay, you know, like again, I I just I I I always had a crazy beef with how they booked Shane, like. Shane came back and like everyone on the roster had been so fucking booked into oblivion by WW by 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 I say WW creative, but like it's Vince. The, the McMahons. The end of the day, it's Vince. That like, you know, like the only people who ever like really got booked strong were like the guys who were like coming back, right? Like the part-time guys. People have complained about that for years. Uh but like when it when when that also applies to Shane, it's like, come the fuck on. This is kind of a joke. <sighs> so next up. Lashley, Lashley, I fucking love. Remember this shit, man? Remember, I feel like we referenced this a lot. This is like man of the hour. Leo Rush, the Leo Rush Lashley like partnership is like the kind of like minor forgotten gimmick that sticks in my head the most. Like I just, every time I see Lashley, like for, for the rest of time, uh, every time I see Bobby Lashley, I just think to myself, Oh, he looks like money. He smells like money. And then I think right after that, Hey, Bobby, show him your favorite pose (laughs) (laughs) all the time. It's burned into my fucking brain until I die. Uh, but just like, Leo with his kind of like Leo, tremendous fucking wrestler. I'm a big fan of his. Um, think he could go at a really, really, really high level. But he's got this kind of like, I almost want to say like, like fucking like who killed Roger Rabbit ass voice. Yes. <laughs> and again, not talking shit about Leo, but it's just like this, the combination of his voice with like just the way his voice sounds and like how he the, talked hyping up Lashley just something about that was so fucking hilarious and memorable it came off as it came off as less manager and more fanboy yeah I know it was just like honestly it fucking worked for me it worked for me really fucking I I think you're probably like one of a handful like it made sense in my head I thought worked it shouldn't have worked but somehow for me it worked I don't know how I see it should have worked in my head. Like this pairing made sense. I'm just like file this under uh, Baron Corbin and JBL. It's a pairing that makes a lot of sense, and it just didn't pan out. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. But like, yeah. So we got this match coming up. Uh, Intercontinental Champion Bobby Lashley and his manager slash partner slash bitch Leo Rush. Um, they are facing. Finn Balor in a two-on-one handicap match for the Intercontinental title. And kind of a typical trope of, uh, like, heel backstage interviews is the backstage interviewer, whoever it may be, will come up and ask a fairly innocuous question, and then the heels will, like, take it out on the interviewer and be like, you're you're a biased piece of shit and you're you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Did you go to journalism for that? You know, um, yawn, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. 
and it'll be like like the person just asked like a very innocuous question. But here is like the one time that they were justified. Like so Dasha comes up and she's like she basically like asks like, hey, Leo. So, you know, Finn pinned you last week. Do you think you're the weak link? Leo, do you suck? Like, are you going to be the reason why you guys lose the title? Uh, like, hey, Leo, are you a little fucking pipsqueak nerd? Are you going to get your ass kicked by Finn? Do you fucking suck at wrestling? Should you just, like, quit the business altogether? And Leo's like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> like, Leo's kind of like, hey, what the fuck, man? Like, why are you, why are you, like, ripping my balls off here? Like, it kind of is. I was kind of like, it was like the only time I was like, man, like, this, like, babyface interviewer is, like, being really fucking hard on the heel right now. Like, she needs to ease the fuck up. <laughs> um, and then Leo's like, hey, like, we have the advantage. Uh, like, we've got the two-on-one advantage. Um, no one is stronger than Bobby Lashley, dot, 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 and Leo Rush. Hey, Bobby, you're the steak. I'm the sizzle. Uh, but I was just kind of like, damn, Dasha, like, you are supposed to be, like, an independent journalist here at least a little bit. Like, ease the fuck up, you know? Like, I don't know. Um, so it is Lashley and Leo versus Finn. Uh, Finn coming out wearing red and black gear. Um, story of the match is really like whenever Lashley and Finn match up in the ring, it's like competitive, but Lashley has the advantage. But then whenever Leo gets in there, Finn like just totally beats his ass. And like Leo has to like, like, that like Leo will get in and they have the advantage and then like Finn like starts getting up on him and then Leo has to like sprint back over to his corner and tag Lashley back in. So that happens a few times. Um, most of this match is uh, like just Lashley getting heat on uh, Finn and then he tags out and then, you know, the, the same process repeats that I just mentioned. So the, it kind of begs the question, why ever tag Leo in, right? Ever for any reason. Um, eventually Lashley just decides, no, I'm, not going to tag him in. Uh, he hits the big Uranagi. He sets up for the spear, which is going to finish the match. But then Leo blind tags Lashley and gets in the ring. And Lashley's like, hey, what the fuck? And Leo's like, listen, bro, I got this. We're good. He goes for his final hour frog splash, misses. And then Finn gets his comeback on Leo. He takes Lashley out, hits a sling blade, clotheslines him to the floor. Big double tope con hilo onto both Lashley and Leo on the floor. Shotgun drop kick. Coup de gras in the ring on Leo. And Finn Balor, of course, gets the pin and wins the match. And wins the Intercontinental title on Leo Rush. Leo loses the title for his partner, uh, Bobby Lashley. Nine minutes and 26 seconds. Afterwards, Lashley is furious at Leo, which honestly justified. Because uh, he re really, really screwed the pooch on this one. And Lashley kills him with a big Uranagi and leaves him laying in the ring as he, as he walks out screaming in frustration. So, David, where does the story go from here? Uh, wasn't Leo back with him like the next day? I think so. Big old hey, toady. Sorry, man. We're good. <laughs> but it's also like just I this match serves no one. The two on one team loses. Leo looks like a joke. Bobby looks stupid. And because Leo is so such a weak, sniveling kind of idiot, Finn doesn't really get much of a rub as winning the title by pinning yeah. him. So Finn like doesn't look as Finn doesn't look like a real champion because he didn't actually beat the champion. Lashley looks like an idiot for ever having trusted Leo. And Leo <laughs> looks like the biggest fucking stupid little bitch dork in the world. It's Fucking why? What is this? What are we doing? So, I, I I hate that. I hate I hate these matches. I didn't realize the Almighty did back this far. Much like a lot of things that happened pre-COVID. 
you know, the crowd really kind of was into like Finn winning here, which is, I guess, good. I, I will say this. Finn was over as he generally has been throughout most of his career. Uh, but yeah, they they did. You know, we get let's go Finn chance throughout the show or for, throughout the throughout the match. And yeah, he gets a big pop for winning. But again, this is one of those things where it's like it. Like you said, uh, I agree with you. The booking serves nobody. It's so bad. It's and, and like this was a match too. I, again, one of the common complaints during this era, and one that I usually have more so than you. And towards the end of this match, holy camera angles! They were flashing around every two seconds. Oh my god, dude! I I have something to say about that uh, later, but it it really is pretty brutal. Um, like it's it's bad during the matches, but like like when you're going full Kevin Dunn, I I have to say like. Kevin Dunn is still there. I, I have to say that maybe I'm not noticing it as much. Or I'm not looking for it as much. But like, I feel like current WWE programming it hasn't bothered me as no much as much. But I might it might just be wishful thinking because it's like, oh, the programming overall is better. So hopefully this thing is better too. You know what I mean? Well, like, I think it's just because they have less cameras. I don't think they have as many cameras on the floor as they used to. I have no idea. I I have no actual knowledge of this whatsoever. I don't know anybody involved in WWE in any way. Uh, But like, like I've met Drew Gulak like two times. That's like it. You know what I mean? I don't know anyone involved in WWE, but like, uh, you know, like it, it might just be one of those things where it's like, I'm enjoying the show more overall. So like, the bad directing and the constant camera cuts aren't bothering me as much where it's like when the show is bad, then it's like everything's on your fucking nerves. But I actually have no idea. Like, I don't know if that's actually true or if it's just something I'm making up. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, it is really fucking bad here. And like I said, I have something specific to talk about like right after this um, or like later on about that. But yeah. Um, So yeah, Finn Balor is the new Intercontinental Champion, so congrats to Finn. Next up, another title on the line. It is, as we continue the march to WrestleMania and the Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair story that had Becky emerge as the top most over woman in the company, and for a time, I would say, the most over person in the company, male or female. Ronda Rousey on one of her last stops before the uh, before the big show is defending the Raw Women's Title against Ruby Riot, and we have Vince's handpicked challenger uh, for the Women's Title, uh, Charlotte Flair, on commentary. Uh, Becky has been suspended and is also nursing an injury, like a worked kayfabe leg injury, at the same time because they had like. Becky got like just white hot crazy over like far in advance of WrestleMania and they had no clue how to keep that momentum going organically through Mania. So they kept that shit on fucking cryo by like basically taking Becky out and like having her like be suspended and then like have her with the fucking fake leg injury and her still showing up to beat the shit out of people. And it was just like. It, it was just it, they they came up with every like contrived thing they could to like push this back, push this back, push this back because we have to have the match at Mania rather than just like striking when she was the most over. And then like because like she was like she was getting her Mac like maximum like level of like reaction like around like Royal Rumble time. 
And then it's like, or like even like right before Royal Rumble, if I really remember. Survivor correctly. Series, right? When she broke her nose? Survivor Series, like that for like Survivor Series to the Royal Rumble, she was like fucking getting like stone cold reactions. You know what I mean? And then, but then it's like, well, shit, we can't adjust from our plan of having the big match at Mania. So we got to like, we got to figure out how to get her there. Right. And their only ideas were like the most contrived bullshit ever. It's really just kind of frustrating. And like, she still had her moment at Mania, but it was like, we can't just have her like, like beat Rhonda with her finisher because quote unquote no one would believe that even though this is a fake sport that's made up and you can do whatever the fuck you want and her moment came at like one o'clock in the morning east coast time because of the fact it was like a four hour show so the payoff for Becky like Becky's Becky igniting on a nuclear level with the crowd was her winning with a roll up at one o'clock in the morning (laughs) and it was just like god come on what is this new Japan (laughs) Oh, New Japan wouldn't do that. New Japan is better than this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, fuck. Anyway, we've got Ruby versus Ronda Rousey, and, and the announcers are trying to sell us, like, can you imagine what if Ruby won the title and then it was Ruby versus Becky or Charlotte? Come on, no one's buying this. Uh, Ronda comes out. Well, so first time we get Charlotte, you know, Charlotte cuts just her real unbearable... Uh, unbearable heel promo the same one we've heard from her a billion times then ronda comes out ronda dressed like sonya blade from mortal kombat which she had voiced sonya blade in the most recent mortal kombat to that time mk11 which i don't know can't imagine that she was that good of a voice actress she's kind of got kind of a well it's got kind of a like a monotone voice a little bit a little bit but the the costume looks really cool comes out throws ruby around hits her twisting Samoan drop Points at the Mania sign, slaps on the arm bar, tap out. Ronda retains the title just a minute and 41 seconds. Afterwards, we get the big face-off between Charlotte and Ronda. Then Becky comes down to the ring, even though she's supposed to be suspended. Becky comes down to the ring on crutches. Uh, You know, she can barely get in the ring. Then stands up, throws the crutches aside, beats everyone up with the crutch. Uh, beats up Charlotte then beats up Ronda. We get big Becky chants from the crowd. Uh, and then she gets taken away by security. Uh, and that's the, that's the, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. So yeah, there's not much to this match. Uh, it's really being progressed here on the road to me. <laughs> I mean, fun to see Becky whoop some ass and be non-discriminate in her ass kicking. What did the man uh, ultimately like, was Becky just so over that it ruined the Ronda Rousey WWE experiment? Uh, partially, yes. Uh, because it... Molly just said it's because Ronda sucked. Molly is not <laughs> a fan, and honestly, like... Yeah, I feel like that that whole momentum just petered out, right? Like, it was like, Ronda was such a big star from the UFC, right? She was like a real, like, mainstream person that, like, her showing up was a big deal. And her, like, showing up and actually being, like, kind of good at, like, wrestling, like, in the ring, it was like, oh, fuck, this is kind of hot. And then, like, once she had to, like, be a normal pro wrestler, right, and, like, cut promos and then, like, kind of, like, carry a feud and, like, do all of that stuff, it was like, oh, we look at this now and, like, oh, no, like, Becky Lynch is way better than that because she's a pro wrestler, you know what I mean? She's way more charismatic and she's better at cutting promos and, like... She's 
got more experience in the ring and like people kind of just I think realize like hey Ronda's fine but like we don't care about her the way we care about other people I'll never understand why they never like gave her a mouthpiece kind of like how Brock got from like the mid 20 teens because like again they're kind of like in the same category of like pro wrestler Brock on his own though like he could cut a promo he's very entertaining without needing a mouthpiece but Ronda really did need one when Brock went, I mean, like, because the equivalent here is like Brock coming in in 2003 or 2002, right? When he was fresh out of fucking University of Minnesota, right? And like, you know, Brock didn't have the mainstream, you know, cachet that like Ronda did. Ronda was like an actual like fucking celebrity. But like, Brock can cut a promo now. You know what I mean? We've got like fucking, you know, Letter Kenny Brock. Love it. Love Letter Kenny Brock. Cutting good promos. But, like, Brock couldn't cut that promo in 2002, you know? he That's why he had Paul Heyman. I mean, it's exactly the same thing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, because, like, Ronda has never been able to cut a promo, you know? And, like, that's fine. Plenty of great wrestlers couldn't cut promos. Could fucking Jeff Hardy cut a promo? No, Jeff Hardy has been a wrestler for fucking 30 years, almost, and has never been able to cut a promo. But he was over because he was really cool. Like, it's not necessary, but if you're going to have someone in that situation and make them cut promos and they can't cut promos, then, like, don't have them cut promos. That's the one thing, like, with Darby that has gotten really impressive to kind of talk about other guys who have not been the promo promo kings, if you will. And, you know, Darby has kind of, like, really put himself out there to try and cut these promos because he knows that that's part of the job. And you know, Ronda never seemed like someone that was interested in getting better on the mic. She just wanted to be someone that did the cool things, got the crowd adoration, and then went home. But it's also like with Darby, like they put him with Sting. Yes. You know, and he got to learn from Sting. With like Jungle Boy, who was another guy who was in the same kind of situation, they put him with fucking Christian, you know? And Christian, who's on other levels right now. (laughs) Great promo, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) dude, yeah, dude. I, I just like I can't stop fucking like going crazy about this Christian run that we're getting Christian. Like, Christian, I am your dad now gimmick. The the greatest Christian run of his of his like 30 year career is coming in 2023. And it's him wearing a turtleneck, making fun of people whose dads are dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking awesome, man. I literally I think about it every like no joke five times a day. Like the Christian meets Nick Wayne promo where he just walks out in his turtleneck and he says, Nick Wayne, I hear that you have a father and your father is dead. (laughs) It's just like I think about that 10 times a day. It's fucking awesome. God damn it. But yeah, like imagine Rhonda with Christian's charisma. God damn. Rhonda could never cut a promo about how someone's dad is dead. Let me tell you. I mean, fuck. Uh, but she shouldn't like, if that's not her fucking strength and you're going to toss her out there, you know, then she's going to fail, right? You're going to make her do that shit. It's not going to work out. Whereas Becky is a good promo and she's charismatic and she's good at pretty much everything. And like, yeah, she got kind of subsumed in that Becky energy, you know, people going crazy. Cause like people had been waiting for Becky to get the push for years. Like Becky was that person for a long time that like, Everyone knew how good she was, and we were waiting for years for her to get that that fucking that actual main event push she never got. 
and then it finally happened. And oh, 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 what a shock that the fans actually were going crazy. And Becky herself, too, like she's good at she's good at the promo. She's good at working a crap. I would say like she's not necessarily like the most charismatic person. She's just she understands how to get the max out of everything. She just knows how to take everything and run with it. She's a good pro wrestler. That's what she is. She's a really good pro wrestler. So. Next up, this is like the low point of the show for me and for everyone, man. This shit is absolute trash. We have a no disqualification match between Braun Strowman and Applebee's manager, Baron. Corbin. <laughs> uh, and there's one moment in this match that really made me laugh. So. The bell rings. And. Baron Corbin rips off his stupid little vest. And throws it at Braun and like rushes at him and hits it. Like he throws it at Braun. And like so that that alone is kind of funny. But then it's that and then on commentary, Renee going, like, he throws the vest at him, and then you hear Renee going, he threw a vest? Quote. <laughs> it was like it was like really like a who throws a shoe honestly type moment, you know? Uh just that, like, that was that was really funny for me. But then Corbin hits him with the kendo stick a bunch of times. Braun gets it and says he he yells out in his thick North Carolina accent, "I don't need a kendo stick to whoop your ass." Swamp Beast Braun is best Braun. Yeah, his just fucking like absolute hill person accent. Um, breaks the kendo stick over his knee, but it's like, okay, you're in a no DQ match. Then why, if if you don't want to use weapons, then why didn't you just have a regular match, dude? I don't know. I, I actually really love that part is like someone whose gimmick is the fact that I am so dangerous. I don't need weapons in this no DQ match. My weapons alone are my fists. I don't know. I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of stupid. I think I, sure, shortly. This is, this is get these hands brawn. Yes. Shortly after this, didn't there, wasn't there a line between Corey and Mike uh, and uh, Michael Cole? Whereas Baron, if you can hear me run, I don't think he can hear you, Corey. I, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So like, yeah, like. You know, Braun beats him up for a little bit. There's a funny spot. The other spot that I laughed at was like Braun's doing the spot that he does where he like chases him around the ring. Right. And like, you know, it's like, oh, look at this big man run. Ooh, holy shit. And then Baron Corbin takes one of the rolling chairs from like ringside. <laughs> he eats it. Braun, and Braun just catches it and then just like drops it to the side and then just starts chasing him again. <laughs> really funny, actually, um, but then like, you know, Corbin redirects him into the steps, uh, hits him with the steps a bunch of times. Braun gets back up on him. Braun hits him with a power slam through a table that is set up in the corner. And it looks like Braun's closing in on the win. But then Drew McIntyre comes out holding a chair. Then Lashley comes from behind and attack. And then they all three on one beat the shit out of Braun with his chairs. Braun gets the shit beaten out of him by Corbin. By Corbin. And Drew and fucking uh, Corbin, Drew and Lashley all at the same time. Um, he has no friends. No one comes out to save him. Only heels have friends, David. Only heels have friends in the WWE. That is a hard rule. That has always been the case. Uh, only heels have friends. They beat the shit out of him forever. Um, eventually, Drew hits him with a claymore. And this finish was actually kind of cool. So they like stack two tables on top of each other and then like they have the uh like two sets of stairs in the ring as like a platform 
And then they basically hit Braun, who's like, you know, legit, like probably almost four bills with like the shield power bomb off of the stairs through the two stacked tables. And then Corbin gets the fin- finish. I mean, that's cool. Like that finish is objectively cool. But I mean, the whole rest of this shit, it's like, man, like you're having Braun get beat by Baron Corbin to serve a to like put over a heel faction that like never ended up being a thing. Yes, that's right? OK. We're on the same page about why this is stupid. Yeah, because like, like uh, if you were going to have fucking uh, these guys be like the dominant heel team, like, oh, shit, like bra, like like. Lashley, Drew, and fucking, uh, you know, Corbin are going to be these big fucking badasses, then okay, that's one thing. But, like, they never fucking did anything with these guys ever. You no. Know? Well, until they got, until Drew turned babyface, and Bobby yeah. turned, uh, got MVP, and Baron yeah. was just always Baron. But, like, as a team, they didn't end up doing anything. No. It's, so, uh, like, it, okay, why are these guys all beating the shit out of Braun, and then they do, and then it's over? Yeah, that's what pissed me off the most about this, because like if they had just committed to the faction and like had that be a like if they came up with a good name, heck, War Dogs was fine. I know at the time it was kind of stupid, but if they just called themselves the War Dogs, sure. Um, like then there's some sense there because now you have like this really good faction. I think you have and three guys too who like one look like superstars two like have a little bit of different personalities. Like Bobby's not the same as drew, not the same as Baron. Like there's a lot of versatility there, despite the fact that like they're three of the bigger guys on the roster, you could really have something there. I thought like if they had committed to that as a heel faction over like six months, there'd be something there, but they never told the story of like one, why they're working together. They why never really, they, why are they beating up Braun Strowman? And then they just kind of just, they all go their separate ways, you know? Yes, that's it. It's just like, cool, we're here to make sure Baron wins because, yes. It's real, like, 19, like, early 90s, like, WWF shit where it's like, uh, like, all the heels are friends because they're heels, you know? And that means that all the heels are friends, you know? Like, they just love evil so much that they all do the evil together. Yes, <laughs> and all, like... And they're all just perfectly, perfectly happy evil guys together and they love each other, you know? Again, I, I I think that faction would work so well. I just I really wish they had done more with it, and they just it was there as a plot device. It's like a retcon. It's like oh, we made this superhero too powerful. We need to have another universe. So well, yeah, it just makes no fucking sense at all. Like it just it's honestly so goddamn stupid. Yeah. But like this match is just like it's it's literally just these three guys beating up Braun for like a long time with no heat, and then Braun just loses. There's no cavalry coming. Braun just looks like an, an asshole with no, like he has no friends. Baby faces have no friends in the WWE, folks. Where, where's Ricochet when you need him? Yeah, where's Ricochet? Where's Where's my man Rico Chet at? Uh, that is like the one, the one thing that I like that the they like have kind of like like one thing about like the Triple H like WWE booking recently is like he lets baby faces have friends like the ju- like this last episode of Raw Judgment Day are beating up Jay Cody Rhodes comes out and helps Jay because it's like hey if you're supposed to be a good guy why would you just let another guy just get the shit beaten out of him like on live TV in front of like 15,000 people yeah do them like mid WCW had mid 90s WCW had it right like were Sting, Luger, Macho Man, were they ever a real faction? No, they were just the they were the baby faces of the company. They Go were to- coming up to help each other. 
you know, because someone had to. The only friends a heel should have are his faction. And that's I mean, and of course, you know, like if Lex Luger did betray Sting a hundred thousand times, but Sting never stopped believing in old Lex. And you know what? I I, I wish we could all have that kind of love and forgiveness for people in, in, in our society the way that Sting did for Lex Luger. I think we would be a much healthier society. So next up, it is okay. So we, we get these two, uh, these two segments. Lacey um, Evans is here for whatever reason. Well, I'm gonna get to that. Backstage, <laughs> Miz is like backstage. We've got you know Miz and Shane. They're in the training. They're like in the training room. Shane is getting checked out because you know obviously blasted through this announce table. You know he's got the doctor looking at him. And we get Miz comes in. Miz is really beating himself up. He feels like shit for having lost the titles because he really did. It was him one-on-one with Jimmy, and he lost. But Shane is just telling him, hey, you know what? Calm down. Go home. It's okay. Just relax, dude. Stop beating yourself up. That's all. You know, it's whatever. But then, okay. Yeah, Lacey Evans' music hits, and she walks down the ramp, and then Abe Simpson turns around and walks <laughs> She literally just walks down like it's a fucking like she's a model on a runway and then just leaves. And that's it. There is no explanation for why this happens. Why Lacey Evans just walks out and then leaves without doing anything. Yeah, her music hits. Her music hits. She walks out to make her entrance. A little little walk down the runway. She literally just walks down like halfway down the ramp. Doesn't get in the ring, doesn't say anything, turns around and walks right back up the ramp and leaves. No explanation whatsoever for this. Uh, what the fuck is that? That's crazy. Um, like, I don't know if she had like a segment get cut, but they were still like, hey, just like go out there and do nothing for some reason. I, I have no idea why this happened. Um, so, but here we go. We have the main event. It is the main event. Uh, the men's elimination chamber, six wrestlers for the WWE title. And honestly, uh, in terms of pure talent, this is probably one of the best elimination chambers of all time. I mean, you have like, like four generational talents in here. You've got, um, like one of, you got like four generational talents in here. You've got a guy who has been over his entire career at a crazy level like one of the all-time daredevils, and then the guy who is crazy over. The, like the other, the, the last guy in this equation is the guy that's crazy over right now. Uh, it's it's pretty, it's a pretty stacked field. In order of entrance, going into the pods first, we have Kofi Kingston, who is, we're, we're starting Kofi Mania here, folks. This is one of the big stops on the way to him getting his big, uh, you know, WWE championship moment at WrestleMania. Remember, he was not supposed to be in this match. It was supposed to be Mustafa Ali in this spot. And I'm sure Ali would have done a great job, but Ali got injured. If I remember correctly, I think so. Pulled out. They decided to put Kofi in and I don't think they had any expectations when they put Kofi in because Kofi, obviously the new day, extremely popular. Everyone loves them. They've been popular for years, but out of the three guys in the New Day, I don't think it's an insult, like a real insult, to say that Kofi is like the third most charismatic guy of the group, right? I don't think he's as charismatic. Charismatic, yes. 
don't think he's as charismatic as Woods. He's a good worker, a, always a guy who would put in a good shift in the ring and you could trust, but no one that's like, you know, he's not AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan or someone like that, right? And he's a guy that has been, you know, maybe had his chance to be pushed at a main event level about eight or nine years earlier, and that moment passed, and ever since then he's been a mid-card guy that people like, but that no one is clamoring to have pushed at the top level, right? I mean, I think that's fair to say. But no one ever fucking better tell me that, like, matches don't fucking matter in terms of people being over. Because Kofi gets slotted into this spot. Again, he is definitely the sixth guy out of six here. But the week before on SmackDown, they had a, they, you know, remember, they had that gauntlet match that, like, took up, like, Almost the entire fucking show. <laughs> uh, but they had the gauntlet match that was to determine, like, the order of, like, who gets into the, the like, I think it was, like, the winner, like, gets to come in last, right? And Kofi goes out there and is in there, like, they, they make Kofi look great in this match. And he puts in this, like, he's out there for, like, 45 minutes. He, like, eliminates the first three guys. Like, they book him super fucking strong. And make him look like the super fucking gutsy babyface. And then the crowd goes nuts for him. And so the crowd going into this match, Kofi was the guy that they were going crazy for. They are going fucking wild for Kofi. It was probably Kofi and then Joe. Yeah, pretty one, two. much. Um, but like just based off of that one match, that one really fucking gutsy babyface performance from Kofi in that uh, as like – on, on the SmackDown before the show, Kofi is now the guy that, like, people are getting behind here. Um, so it's Kofi entering first. We have Jeff Hardy. We've got Randy Orton. We've got AJ Styles. And then starting the match off in the ring, we have Samoa Joe. And we have the WWE champion, eco-warrior Daniel Bryan. The Planets champion, the new Daniel Bryan. Thank you very much. Planets champion who comes out with Eric Rowan. Um, I'm sure Eric Rowan loved this run with Brian because he got to show off like his collection of heavy metal t-shirts is like always a fit different, different one every week. Um, Brian comes out, he cuts the promo, Brian, you know, he said, you know, he, he, he started number one in the gauntlet match and he's starting number one here in the elimination chamber. He cuts this promo saying that he is being punished for truth. He is being punished for speaking the truth to the WWE universe. Um, and also like the, the people on the, like the, the referees like make Rowan leave as he makes their entrance, which also like, I don't recall them ever them doing that for like someone who's like coming out with somebody at a chamber match. Cause it's no DQ. Like if Rowan gets into the chamber and beats everyone up, he's allowed to do that. Like they're not going to let him do it, but if he can do it, like then that's good for him. Like it's not, they're not going to DQ anybody for it. So, like, I thought that was kind of weird that they, like, made him leave. But he says, there is, uh, there's still hope because you people and the planet, they need me. And the new Daniel Bryan will raise this beautiful wooden championship again. And I got to say, remember the when he had the wood and hemp WWE title belt? So sick. That was, it so, was cool. so good. I love that belt. It was It's so stupid. It shouldn't have worked. But, God, it looked actually really good. It actually looked fucking dope. It was really cool. It fit the gimmick perfectly. It did. 
Yeah, I did get some CM Punky vibes from this promo, like very much like, oh, I could see Punk cutting a similar promo like this. I don't know. I but but believing it. It's very I think very different. I think it's very different. But so we start off with Joe and Brian. Talk about two guys that have a lot of history. Joe and Brian who probably spent a combined, you know, 5000 hours in the ring together. And obviously the the work between these two guys. Very good. Uh, Joe beats him up early, puts him in a bunch of different submissions. Uh, you know, power bomb into a Boston crab into an STF. Brian, I, my favorite thing about Daniel Bryan, he's one of those guys that like is just his he's he's really pale and his skin is such that like he gets chopped once and his fucking chest is beat fucking red. Like his his chest is like already like fucking like exploding after like two minutes in the ring with Joe. Um so uh, you know, we get some good work between Joe and Brian. Kofi is the first guy out of the pod. Uh, hits a frog splash to the back on Joe. Um, we have a cool spot where Brian hangs Kofi over the top rope and hits a diving knee drop off the top rope onto Kofi. We got another spot where uh, we talk about guys climbing the pod for no reason. Brian climbs up, but Kofi just like leaps up to the top of the pot, like really cool. Like the way he got up there super quick, like sprung up from like the, from like the middle rope all the way up to the pod. Like really like, you know, obviously Kofi, great athlete. He like spooks the shit out of Brian. Um, and you know, he beats him up. We have a spot where Brian's like climbing away from him and like Kofi's climbing after him. Joe follows him, rips Brian down. Kofi boots Joe off. And then hits the big trust fall dive off of the cage. Crowd, huge Kofi chance. They are really, really behind Kofi. Um, there's a spot here also. Made me wince a little bit. Joe hits his running senton where, while Brian is lying on his side instead of on his like chest or on his back. So he just squashes him. Flexes <laughs> the fuck out of his internal organs. Like That had to have felt awful. Um AJ Styles comes in. Obviously, everything AJ does is perfect because AJ is the greatest wrestler of all time. Um, he hits his combo moonsault DDT on uh, Kofi and Brian. He hits this perfect, like, honestly, the one thing that he did that uh, popped me the most was he hits the slingshot forearm to the outside on Joe. Where, like, Joe gives him no space. Joe is standing, like, a foot away from him. So AJ has to, like pop up and then like fit into this like tiny little fucking piece of space to hit the forearm. And he does it of course, perfectly. Like it, I, like I, it was, it was amazing. Um, he hits the phenomenal forearm on Brian to the back as Brian is climbing up the cage again. He hits Kofi with the Ushiguroshi neck breaker. Um, and then we had our first elimination right after this. Samoa Joe locks Kofi in the Coquina clutch. Um, Kofi drops him into a jawbreaker, and then as Joe sells away, AJ hits him with the phenomenal forearm, and AJ pins Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe is the first guy out. Was this a TNA match? Uh, I mean, like after 2008, yeah. Um, so right after this, Jeff Hardy gets in. Uh, enjoy that, because Jeff Hardy's in this match for about two minutes. Jeff Hardy gets in, goes after AJ, gets a brief shot on everybody. Um, gets this one cool spot where he has AJ draped over the top buckle, hits a swanton off of the pod over and kind of through AJ, uh, like as he stand like on the buckle, 
lands, stands right up into Brian flying out of nowhere with the Busaiku knee, and Brian pins Jeff Hardy, and Jeff Hardy's out. Um, right after this, you know, we're still Brian, AJ, and uh, Kofi. We get a Tower of Doom spot in the corner, and of course, everyone's down. That means the last guy's in. It is Randy Orton. Randy Orton slowly gets in the ring and methodically beats up everybody. Uh, and we get a cool spot where, um, like, uh, we have a spot where AJ tries to hit Kofi with the phenomenal forearm. And uh, he springboards up. And then, a like, really, really good camera work here because Orton is laying there right underneath AJ as he's going for the forearm. You never see him. And then as AJ springboards up, Orton stands up, shoots out of nowhere, RKO out of nowhere. Orton pins AJ. We're out of three guys left. Um, Orton hits. This was another spot that I loved. So Orton hits Kofi with the top rope, like hanging DDT, right? Sets up for the RKO. He's powering up. He's doing his thing where he hits the rope, where he, where he like bangs on the mat over and over again. And then suddenly you see coming out of frame, zipping out of nowhere, Daniel Bryan running, like running from the side. And then Orton turning really quick and he hits the fucking super fast. Yes. I was like, damn, that's fucking sick. Like head on a swivel, Randy Orton hitting the snap power slam. Then he goes, turns around, puts his attention back on Kofi, tries to hit Kofi with the RKO. Kofi escapes. Hits the trouble in paradise and Kofi pins Randy Orton. So now it is down to two Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan. And now the crowd really starts to fucking go crazy because they, the crowd is now like they believe in Kofi, right? Like this, this like this completely organic, like crowd getting behind this baby face, like, holy shit. Like maybe he can win. Like we, I think we all know that like Kofi isn't going to win, but maybe he will. You know, um, huge, like everyone in the fucking crowd, Chan and Kofi, Kofi, uh, and they just fucking go right at it. They throw down. We get like probably about a maybe 10 ish minute singles match between Kofi and Brian, and it's really good. Um, there's a huge near fall that the crowd pops super hard for where Brian goes, hits the yes kick, sets up for the big one. Kofi ducks, hits the SOS. Brian kicks out at two. Um, there's another one where Brian hits his like series of like running drop kicks in the corner. He hits four in a row, goes for the fifth one. As he runs in, Kofi hits him with a big double stomp out of the corner. Crowd is like biting enormously fucking huge on every single one of these near falls. Like every single, like there's like a chance that Kofi might win. They're going nuts for it. Um, Brian hits the Busaiku knee. Kofi kicks out. Huge pop. Um, hits him with all the, the stomps in a row. Kofi kicks out again. Huge spot where uh, Brian goes for the Busaiku knee again. Kofi uh, instead hits the trouble in paradise. He hits his finish. The crowd goes nuts. They do the same fucking thing that they do in the, J in the Uso match where he hits his finish and then Brian immediately turns it into a crucifix when he tries to pin him. Kofi kicks out. Didn't like that. That was one thing that I didn't like uh, was them doing that shit again. Uh, Brian catches him in the yes lock. 
Kofi gets to the ropes and Brian lets go, even though it's no DQ and there's no reason that he would have to let go of the hold, which I also thought was kind of stupid. Yep, I, I had that too. Like we almost almost stuck the landing on here, man. Um, then we end up they end up on top of a pod. Kofi boots him off. He goes for a huge splash off of the top of the pod. He misses and then Brian runs in, hits the Busaiku knee. Brian, Daniel Bryan gets the pin, retains the WWE title, 36 minutes, 35 seconds in what I, like I said at the top of the show, what I think is probably one of the best, most memorable elimination chamber matches of all time. Uh, afterwards, Xavier Woods, Big E get in the ring to check on Kofi. They help him out. Kofi gets a huge standing ovation from the crowd. They get a thank you Kofi chance going on. Um, yeah, that's, that's the wrap of the show. Uh, but Kofi doesn't win tonight, but his moment is going to come very soon at the, uh, the coming WrestleMania. Yeah, this was a really fun match. Really great way to end Elimination Chamber. Uh, loved in the beginning, Samoa Joe just hunting Daniel Bryan, like uh, a predatory animal. It's just like Joe brings that intensity that so few do. And like, yeah, is he maybe the most physically appealing person like throughout the 90s? No, but you don't you, you know not to fuck with Joe. Joe is a guy that like I was just watching this match with MJF from last week. So good. Which was great. And I was just thinking like, man, like Joe's been wrestling 25 years as a big guy who like wrestled a faster style for than most big guys did and would do some stuff that most big guys wouldn't do. He should be washed, but he isn't. You no. know what I mean? Like I, he's toned it down a little bit. He's definitely toned it down a little bit. He doesn't he doesn't wrestle the way he did in 2005. But like he should be washed, but he is fucking not washed. Not dude. even close. It's and like he, and there, there are those years where like we had concerns like because he was having concussions. And like the guy, I, I really thought he was done. Like when he came to AEW, I'm like, oh, so he's gonna be a guy that maybe shows up maybe once every six months. And no, he's kind of like he's wrestling a pretty regular schedule right now. Yeah, he's uh, still going full time. And he's still great. But like he has that he really when they booked him in uh what's it called? Twisted Metal as the as the body of Sweet Tooth. It's just like, yeah, that makes so much sense. Is that show good? Have you watched it? It's it's entertaining. It's I haven't finished it yet, but it is a very entertaining show. And Joe has the mannerisms down for Sweet Tooth as a psychopathic killer. Like it kind of annoyed me that like I saw that like it's Joe's body, but it's Will Arnett's voice. It makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess, but like, I don't know, like Joe has a great fucking voice. He does, but I don't think like Sweet Tooth has Sweet Tooth doesn't have that deep bassy voice. It's supposed to be a little bit of a a Joker situation. Just someone that's completely unhinged. I don't know anything about Twisted Metal at all. Um, I have never played the games. I don't really know anything. It's like, oh, they've got crazy cars or whatever. Yes. Like that. Like and then they somehow turned it into a TV show. It's better than it should be. Um, I've like heard positive things about it, but it's like I remember like thinking like when like Joe got cast in like a main role, I was like, oh, that's really fucking cool. And then it's like, oh, but he's Will Arnett's voice, you know? Yeah, like, I get that. that sucks. Um, but yeah, the chops were very like powerful between those two. Um, Joe had that sweet power bomb into the Boston Crab, into the STF, into the crossface, into like a modified Rings of Saturn. Just goddamn, that man's inc- impressive. I love the Kofi spot leaping up to the ki- the top of the uh, pod just to scare the shit out of Debray. The sw- you know, it's, you- it's it's the Kofi thing. It's like you get 
like the Kofi spot in the Rumble every year because he's a just a crazy athlete. He's got great balance and he can just kind of like you can you can figure out him to do like one thing that like you feel like he shouldn't be able to do. You know what I mean? Every every show. And while like he's not the charisma of the New Day, while he's not the worker of the New Day, the, the heart of the New Day, folks. Very much so. I mean, the guy he just pops people, man. He he's incredible. He's the one, he's the one that feels most like a superhero at times. Um, the, the, also his no look cross bodies, man, that is like one of the scariest insane spots I've ever seen a wrestler regularly do. Cause you're just literally falling backwards without looking where you're jumping. It's just, yeah. it's called, it's, it, he calls it the trust fall for a reason <laughs> the shit out of the guy catching you. I mean, like really? Oh man. The, uh, and then after that, the swanton on the turnbuckle, dude. Cool. Very cool. Like Jeff is a madman. This is probably like one of the last good. And granted, he's only in the match for like two minutes. Two minutes, and he, he okay. But here's the thing: Smart. I could watch two minutes of Jeff Hardy today, and he's so freaking washed. I know it's actually really sad. Like, I mean, but it's it's expected, right? I mean, fuck, he's been wrestling for over 25 years, and during most of that time, he's been doing crazy shits constantly in the ring and outside the ring. Yeah, in the ring and outside the ring, folks. Um, and like, and then people are like, oh, like Matt and Jeff are washed. Well, fucking course they are. What do you expect? It's sad. But like, I think, they, I think the Hardys kind of know where they're at right now and they're just kind of trying to put people over. So love the Hardys. Not, no slander towards the Hardys. I don't care that Jeff is washed. I, I'm happy that he's wrestling. If you um, talk about the Hardys, then honestly, I, I'm coming to your fucking house. Um, Randy coming in at the perfect time just to pick the bones of everybody. The RKO mid phenomenal forearm, like God, Randy's just so creative with that move. It's just again, and then the finish here, the twelve minutes between Kofi and Debry is electric. There's nonstop. It's nonstop. It's very high tension. They're just they immediately start the match just throwing hands with each other. Kofi's hulking up. Uh, the stop near fall, which you know Kofi has hit better in his career, but like. I get what they were going for. I was still super hype. He kicked, kicking out of the psycho knee, the trouble in paradise pinfall counter. I know we talked about it. We, I know we saw it earlier. It still wasn't any less hype for me into the label lock and then the weird rope break. So yeah, almost sticking the landing there and then missing from the top of the pod only to run into the psycho knee, which Kofi sells perfectly. I love the fact that both times he's hit with it. He just does a full on backflip. It's just so it sells the power level of the move. Yeah. Great match. You know, Kofi Mania was real, man. And, you know, probably ended Mustafa's Ali's career with WWE. But, man, we got the Kofi Mania moment, which, you know, I think is a fair trade. Yeah, obviously, we talked about it quite a bit uh, last episode because we had SummerSlam 2019 where Kofi is actually the champion. And we only talk about that. You know, we 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 talked about it quite a bit. You know, it's kind of depressing. We don't want to, uh, uh, you know, we, we don't want to have to, to, to relive it because it was it sucked um, because they just booked him like a dumbass um, and had him lose all the time. But like we have that one beautiful moment, right? Like it is and it was, you know, they the crowd just fucking, you know, just organically got behind this guy in a way that very few people have, you know, ever really experienced, you know, at, at in the WWE, and they just fucking demanded it. They they demanded that this guy go over, 
And he got he got to have that moment. And it's like, you know, like, you know, Kofi winning the title at Mania, you know, um, it's, you know, it's it's not just like, oh, the, you know, Kofi made that happen by putting in a tremendous fucking performance in the gauntlet match and here where it's like they they booked him really well and they booked him to go deep in both matches. But like he fucking came through big time. You know what I mean? It wasn't an accident, right? He probably gave us like this is like this. These few months were the absolute like like the peak of his powers in the ring. You know what I mean? Like the best that he has ever done. Um, and it it wouldn't have worked if he didn't like deliver on this level in this kind of spot. I mean, a lot. I, I imagine some of it probably helps that like he's going with Daniel Bryan and Daniel Bryan's his dance partner because of how you know. D. Bright gets the business. He's always willing to put anyone over. And he knows how, like, as a booker, too, I think we're seeing that on Collision. He knows how to, like, keep himself relevant while at the same time making someone else look elevated in a way that Vince never got while, while being a booker. Of course. It is, of course, Daniel Bryan, who is, like, an inner circle Hall of Famer, probably one of the, like, if not the greatest pure in-ring wrestler who ever lived, like one of them, like in the top five, maybe, you know? Uh, so obviously, like, you know, it's it's easier for Kofi to have that kind of performance uh, against someone like that. You have, like, the perfect dance partner for it. But at the same time, you have to come through on your end. And he did, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, Kofi, and I think the thing that helps Kofi the most, too, is that how his career had gone like through that point, he was a, he got saddled with a Jamaican gimmick despite being from Ghana, um, had been a career tag team guy with various tag team partners. Um, you know, ultimately found the new day that started as heels and then ultimately came like some of the biggest baby faces in the company. And, you know, tag team wrestling has not always been a priority with WWE, but whenever Kofi was out there, would always give his all always have those moments at rumble matches. Like he had, his story was the fact that his entire 15 year career up until that point, his story. I mean, he was a guy that had always been there. You know what I mean? Like he was a guy that like, again, as I said at, at the beginning, he was a guy that like he had maybe once had his moment years before that he could have been a top guy and it didn't happen for you know various reasons. And he settled in. And even though he was a guy that like, I doubt there were many people in the in the you know you know in the like many WWE fans who if you ask them who their favorite wrestler is would say Kofi Kingston. Sure there were some, but probably not that many. But he was a guy that everyone liked and had been there so long that he was basically part of the furniture, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he was in the fucking walls, right? Like you kind of couldn't imagine WWE without Kofi. And he was a guy that everyone recognized that there were more talented people than, but he had never really gotten his chance to be, he had never like really gotten the moment that everyone felt that he deserved. Right. And no. then everyone fucking got behind it. Right. Like and he said, what forget he was, he was us champion at one point or IC champion. He had been, you know, whatever. He had, you know, been a fucking just a, a a mid-card guy that everyone liked for a long time. And, you know, eventually, you know, people looked at him and said, hey, you know what? This guy's fucking great. He deserves something. 
you know, and he got it and it's great. Right. Like, and it, it was, it ends up becoming this super heartwarming moment, you know, and that, that, you know, obviously WWE didn't ever follow up on it really, but he got this incredible moment at WrestleMania and honestly watching this back now, like seeing the way, like, you know, I, you know, four years later, I know what happens. I'd seen this happen before. You know, I remember watching it live and like being with the fucking crowd, like biting on all the near falls, like really like thinking like, yeah, I know there's no way Kofi's going to win, but what if he does? Right. Like, yeah, fucking crazy would that be? Um, I remember being that emotionally invested in this match um, and being that emotionally invested in the WrestleMania match. Um, like. It was still it, it. It's heartwarming four years later, seeing like the way the crowd gets behind him and the way they react to him and like the 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 ovation that he gets after the match and everything. It's it's really heartwarming and it's it's heartwarming. Like I went back and I you know last night when I when I finished watching this, I went back and I I felt like I had to watch like the end of his match with Brian at Mania just to see him get that payoff in that moment where you know like the one like one of the most like grown men crying ass like moments in the history of WWE. So. <laughs> pure heartwarming moments of like, you know, like Kofi wins the title and everyone's fucking crying. Like Xavier Woods is in the ring sobbing, like, you know, like they give him the title and everyone's losing their shit, you know, like a moment that honestly, I I said this, I kind of teased this earlier is fucking ruined by how many fucking camera cuts there are. I wanted to vomit. It was so bad. (laughs) It should be like this incredible fucking beautiful moment that we all like love watching, going back and, and looking at, and it's like there are there's like literally like in the minute after like Brian pins him and like or after Kofi pins Brian to win the title, there is like in that 60 seconds, probably like 95 camera cuts in a row. It's fucking nauseating. And it's like you can't just let this nice fucking moment breathe, dude. No, nope. like, WWE always has to fucking, you know, always has to shit itself in some way, you know? They're their own worst enemy. I, like really fucking just vomit inducing stuff. Like honestly, like I like I feel like you could get motion sickness from that. You know, it's it's brutal. But yeah, uh, a great perform. Like again, as I said, I think like arguably or one of de- definitely not arguably, but like one of the best and most memorable chamber matches of all time because of the story with Kofi and the crowd getting behind him and just a a match that was laid out super well and executed super well. So that'll take us to our two and a half marks. Angelo. I alluded alluded to it uh, a little bit before here, but like a half mark going to Kofi selling the buzz psycho knee, just he sells it twice. He sells it like death twice. And you know, Sometimes some guys get hit with it and they don't sell it the best, but Kofi here, man, he sells the absolute hell out of it. It was, it looks brutal. It's one of my favorite moves to see because it's like you have some flexibility to sell it on it. And Kofi, you know, doing that full flip every time, just so good. It looks, it, again, sells the spot. My mo- my one mark is going to when the gimmick matches the pay per view is named after deliver. We've had Hell in the Cell pay per views where the Hell in the Cell match is very boring and dull and not interesting. Thank God for this pay per view which featured a lot of mid, started and ended with two really good Elimination Chamber matches. Elimination Chamber is one of my favorite gimmick matches that they do. It's one of the few pay per views where I'm okay with the pay per view being named after the gimmick match. 
Um, it's, unless you're it, in Germany. Unless you're in Germany. But maybe it's called a no escape match there. Who knows? Possibly. Uh, but like this is just like when you can have matches that are named for the gimmick or pay-per-views that are named for the gimmick, like war games, that never fail to entertain because they're booked in a way that make it make sense and make it feel valuable. Like, I think one of the biggest cardinal sins of the past few years is that Royal Rumble where Shane McMahon was the only surprise entrant and it was boring as shit. It's unforgivable yeah. when you have a bad one pay-per-view gimmick most, match. One of the most incredible feats in the history of pro wrestling is the time that they made a Royal Rumble match boring. Yes. Like, honestly, you should be publicly executed for that. So one mark going to both those Elimination Chamber matches being great. And then my two marks is going to a hostile crowd takeover. Like, it's wrestling is for the fans at the end of the day. Because if without the fans, there is no business. And if there's no business, you're not making money. So you have to have, at least on some level, know what the fans want. And when the fans are being so blatantly obvious with it in a way that is genuine, you should just fucking listen. I don't care if it screws up your plans. I don't care if you had, oh, well, you know, I think this is where we're going to go with this storyline. If the fans are clamoring for something, just fucking do it. Like, and even like in the cases of like L.A. Knight here, like so L.A. Knight's the current current uh, like crowd favorite where everywhere he goes, the crowds are rocking each and every time. Put a belt on that man and then feature him for three months. Don't just do the Zack Ryder of it all where you just give him a title and forget about him. Just yeah, you got to at a certain point just like do it and then see what happens, you know, and let him explore with it. Like that's the whole thing with Kofi Mania. That's the biggest issue. They got to the him winning the belt and then they did not have a plan for what to ha- have happen afterwards. Like you can't. Yeah. And then, and then you can't blame the guy for saying like, oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, once we own the title, we were not sure where we're going. Like, shut up. There's plenty of stories you could tell. And they found the stories. They just did not bother devoting a lot of time to them or telling them in a meaningful way. Just listen to the crowd. The crowd's going to tell you what they want. And, you know, I do think there's a reason for like you don't want it to be that one off situation. But when you have a guy that gets three months of like nuclear reactions, I think it's pretty safe to put a belt on him. Yeah. Yes, sir. I'm going to go my my uh, half mark to and this is like a very specific thing, but it happened in the women's tag match, the women's tag uh, chamber. When you have like the people who start the match end the match, you know what I mean? Yes. Like this, like also in like a Royal Rumble, like when you have like this has happened, I think one or two times maybe where it's like the people who start one and two end up like the last two people. Uh, I always get hyped for that for some reason. I don't know. It's like, look at these fucking iron men and iron women in this case, like just fucking getting after it. Uh, I think it's I think it's cool. Like it, it makes it makes like the kind of climactic showdown feel more earned between between the two wrestlers or the two teams or whoever. Right. Um, I'm going to give my uh, negative one mark for having like how every single fucking time in like a match with like over four people there's a tower of doom spot now (laughs) like like five or more people you gotta have one of those in there and that's like like the big double down every like ever or whatever how many people down we have to have everyone down to kind of reset you know and you're gonna be the base for those going forward when you when you're in those matches it gets boring honestly to watch it's not it's not that fun and plus i don't want to fucking take a superplex that shit hurts dude god leave me alone i don't want to do that Fuck, man. It's just like, you know, it happened in both like because, of course, they had ones in like both matches, right? Both chamber matches. And you knew they were going to. 
You knew they were going to. It's kind of a little like it's just it's just old at this point. It's old at this point. And I'm going to give my two marks to the Busaiku knee, which is Daniel Bryan being Daniel Bryan, of course, doing what every ROH guy does best, which is uh, stealing a move from Kenta. <laughs> but Brian was 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 great at it. He's always great at it. Just flying in his fucking, you know, flying in fucking crazy style. His his hair and his beard f- flowing in the fucking wind as he explodes through you and just like, you know, perfect contact, perfect fucking like it looks amazing every fucking time. Um and uh, you know, I I it just he's he's never hit one that didn't look amazing. And he hits like several in this match that are perfect. So that'll wrap up our coverage of Elimination Chamber 2019. That'll bring us to our final order of business. I'm going to hit the randomizer, see what we're going to be watching next time on the pod. Probably not next week because I have to be at a wedding. I also will be at a wedding. Oh, wow. Um, Look at you. But uh, are we going to work the randomizer and potentially have a guest on? Or are we going to listen to the randomizer as our holy lord? We're going to listen to the randomizer as our holy lord for right now. But we're 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 in the works. We're in the works for some stuff. So, I as I pull this up, what do you want to watch, Angelo? Oh man, this is tough. I kind of want some NXT, I think. I think I want some NXT. That you know what? Locking it in. Give me some NXT. We're that's not what we're going to get. Uh we're kind of staying late 2010s WWE. Oh boy, that's all we have left, I guess. No, I we got a lot of other shit, but this is what we're, we're on a run here. We're watching WWE Fastlane 2016 main event triple threat match. Roman versus Dean Ambrose versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, That's weird. What do we got in here? We got uh, AJ Styles versus Chris Jericho match. Probably really good. Don't really remember in particular. Uh, Kevin Owens versus Dolph Ziggler intercontinental title. Can you believe that Dolph Ziggler just got fucking just lost his job? That shit's crazy. It's there yes. for 900 years. Oh, we have spirit squad folks. Come on. We have the Wyatt family jobbing out. Yeah, we do. Uh, Braun Strowman in the Wyatt family. Remember that? That was a fun two weeks. Uh, yeah. So we got a lot of shit going on here. WWE Fastlane 2016 next time on the two and a half marks podcast. So for my good friend, Angelo and Gleason, my name is David Stavin. Thanks everybody for listening.